Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick, and my co-host, Ruben, or Barefoot Farmer. Uh, this is episode five, um, and I don't have anything else to say about that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So this is episode five. We've made it. Uh, hopefully this one will be slightly shorter than our last episode, which went slightly longer than I had expected. Um, but we're still figuring this out and figuring out the format. So again, any feedback would be much appreciated. And you can continue to find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, and please give us a five-star review. We only have one right now, I think. I actually don't really know how to check. But we definitely have one because I used my uh, wife's cell phone to uh, give us a five-star review. So anyone else, um, use all the devices you can get your hands on. And uh, please give us five stars. And hopefully by next week, I'll figure out how to check if we have any other reviews or five-star ratings. All right, so let's go to our second segment, Card of the Week. Uh, this week, my Card of the Week is Eye for an Eye, which is five shadow shadow uh, spell, kill an exhausted enemy unit, then draw a unit from your void with a higher cost. So I... I chose this card because I really can't tell if this is a good card or not. It have seems you won like, a game with it? <laughs> have I won a game with it? Yeah. I mean, I've killed some things with it. Have you lost a game to it? I, I, I've lost a game to it. I've lost a game with it in my hand, unable to, to use it also. That's, that's also worth noting. <laughs> Part of it is every time I'm like... In the draft portion, I forget that it's not a fast spell. And so then I, like, excitedly pick it. And then in the game, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not a fast spell. And then so then you have to, like, hope that the enemy attacks. Or you have to, like, suicide a guy in for it to die. And then eye for an eye. Yeah. This is the, the definition of a situational card. Yeah. Um, you have got two different components of it that both are not guaranteed to be an occurrence in your game even because there's there's pretty decent number of endurance units and mm-hmm. stuff as well and endurance uh, weapons and it's so so that makes it situational and on top of that the the drawing a unit from your void with a higher cost is actually pretty tough to pull off. I misread it multiple times when I first started playing Defiance um, with with the set. And every time I, I would look at it or pick it, for some reason in my head, I was like, you know, oh, you just draw a unit. Like, that's that's relevant probably every time, right? And then when you actually play with it, you find that it's pretty rare to have a unit with a higher cost than the super important thing you want to kill with a five-power removal spell. So... I think, but yeah, both both components of it are pretty situational. So I would, I'd say this is kind of a, on the filler side of cards, but um, pretty powerful in in a, the right kind of slow defensive deck too. Right, because you know, like that's the thing is like I I really don't mind spending five power to kill a unit, even when it just does that, and you're not getting your like sweet two for one. It feels pretty good. It just really doesn't feel very good when 
when it's just sitting in your hand. Yeah, I wouldn't be picking this very highly. It's, you know, five five power, double double shadow influence as well requirement, <laughs> which makes it so it's only something you want to pick if you really can say you're in you're deep in shadow. It's one of your more primary colors and shadows open. Um so yeah, this is not something I'd be picking super early in pack one. Though but, I do I don't know if this is changing recently because I do think I've been having them more in my decks recently but it felt like at least in the earlier in the draft format i was never really seeing these so i i wonder if people are sort of catching on now that these aren't quite as it's not quite as good as it looks okay so uh your card Ruben. i chose a card that i i I wanted to choose something that i'd heard varying opinions on um and weigh in with my opinion <laughs> uh maddening whisper is the four double four costing double time fast spell also fast spell that puts an enemy unit into its owner's hand and amplifies for two for each additional enemy unit you want to bounce um i i've seen people passing this card recently and i think it's if if you're in time if you're I mean, it's almost a reason to go time. This this card is really powerful. Um, even at six, bouncing tooth cards is such a huge tempo gain mm-hmm. in so many matchups, and it's it's on the same level as uh, I think like Frost Wave. People have been talking about how great Frost Wave is. Maddening Whisper has a pretty similar impact as Frost Wave. Um, it's a little more constrictive on your power. So double time. I wouldn't be maybe first picking Maddening Whisper over like a Conflagrate or an Oni Forge Master or, you know, something super solid like that. But I can say this card wins games and you won't be you won't be uh, disappointed to have one in your deck. Um, this kind of goes for a lot of those types of effects of either either bouncing the team or pumping your whole team. Um, just a card that can really, and the fact that it's a fast spell too, it can come out of nowhere during combat and just do crazy things as, you know, as well as just getting blockers out of the way. Right. Yeah. I I mean, I, I think the thing that turns people off is the, the huge initial investment, you know, so yeah, you know, frost wave is since that's just, you know, just a one power spell. It feels like you can fire it off for one anytime while Maddening Whisper, you know, if you're just doing it for one, I think it it still can be good. It just doesn't it doesn't feel as good. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And and also with some of the go wide strategies getting popular, um and or getting better at the very least, it also has lost maybe a little bit of its steam. But mm-hmm. I, I still would say it's not by any means a card to be avoided yeah Um, and i've seen some people actively saying nah i never want to play that card and i think that's wrong i think if you're if time is clearly open that's a perfectly fine card to put in your deck Mm -hmm. so do you put this in any time deck or is there a certain faction combination where you think it would more likely fit in well you have so genev with you know, Skycrag plus time. Yeah. Can can kind of be 
I've seen both aggressive versions of that deck with more of the early two-drop renown things and stuff. And in those decks, it's pretty good. On, yeah. Even on curve, just bouncing their best blocker is not bad at all. Um, and is perfectly welcome. But also in some of the slower decks that are trying to uh, kind of hold their ground with the big blockers, high high toughness blockers and stuff, it's equally as good there, um, just as being a way to reset the game till you take over with your changey sticks and <laughs> sentinel power breach sentinels and stuff. So I think it, it, it's playable in all those different styles, um, okay. and you know, not only there but also even in like the Aurelian with the shadow and and primal. It's it's also pretty good in some of those decks as well because a lot of times those those decks are pretty slow and grindy and are relying on those um even like relic effects um looting effects and frost talismans and stuff and maddening whisper can come out and buy you a lot of time to get your plan rolling Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it has a place in most of the decks in most time decks okay yeah cool yeah it is not it's interesting that you say people don't like it because it's not actually a card that I see get past. I don't see past to me a lot. I kind of just assume that uh, obviously someone's taking it or else, you know. <laughs> yeah, it feels like someone's taking it because I, I don't see them in packs very often. So I actually haven't had much experience playing with the card yet. All right. So let's move to our seven win run breakdown this week. So... This week was a bit lighter on the submission front. Um, I'm once again, me and Ruben are once again partially to blame with uh, no seven win runs this week. We do have three new three new submitters this week, so we'd like to thank uh, those people for submitting seven win decks. Uh, Brian, uh, your soulmate, and R. Hoffer. So once again, thank you, you three you three for submitting uh, seven win decks and participating in this project. And then also um, we have a returner in Gao Nan also had a seven win deck this week. Um, so thank you, Gao Nan and everyone please watch his YouTube channel. All right. So Ruben, it's your turn. Do you want to quick uh, go through some of these decks? Yeah, let's, let's go through. Uh, let's start with Brian's deck. And this one I'm excited to look at because it's Justice Shadow, Argentport. Just straight Argentport with a power base of eight Justice Sigils and nine Shadow Sigils. That's a thing of beauty. I, I can't. I, oh, wow. This is just wild. So, also has three Strangers, despite not needing them. But, <laughs> but. Obviously, I, th- I think what Brian was needing was just two drops here because the, he only has four of them. Three strangers and a copper hole parter. Oh, for the record, the three strangers are also... Uh, there's an Elysian one, totally off-color. A Skycrag stranger, also totally off-color. And Ricano, which gives him one of his green. Um, it's pretty funny. But I, I think I, I totally understand sometimes you just are scrounging for your two drops um because you do it does help to just throw a body out in front of other two toughness things early um but then once you get into it you see he's got two thorn beasts so those strangers are just turning into weapons for him 
uh, has two Lethra Intimidators, which is great. Sky Crew, I've actually, I think that card is not bad. Um, oh, wow. Okay. You can tell I didn't look at this earlier, <laughs> this deck list, because he's got three Sadistic Glee, which is the six drop shadow uh, milling unit, the 5-5 five five that dumps the cards off the top of their deck. So had three of those as a pretty solid side win condition. I, I think that's that's pretty cool. And an Elder Astrologer at a 5-drop, 4-4 four, four Flyers, great. Dark Return, Double Finest Hour, Annihilate, and a Slay, and Mob Rule. So pretty good removal with you know two Finest Hours and the Barrel Through to play some defense until uh, you get your Sadistic Glee. Because this, this deck doesn't look super aggressive to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's definitely kind of trying to stall the board to a certain degree. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's uh, it was interesting because um, I just happened to be on the Discord when he was um, asking people for advice on this deck. Um, he had a couple like earlier drops. He had actually another barrel through, so he had two finest hour and barrel through in his pool, and. It was interesting because when I looked at his deck, I was like, oh, well, I'd definitely take out like probably the Broken Wing Brawler, maybe the Breath Stealer or Sadistic Glee and cut on the top end a little bit and then figure out some, you know, earlier drops to add in. But uh, he didn't do that and had a lot of success. So it's. Yeah, well, he's, run- he's running 19 units mm-hmm. plus plus a scavenge. Yes. Um, to get that unit count up for the three sadistic glee to make that uh, milling effect super powerful. And right. There's probably quite a few games where just playing two sadistic glees can do the job. Yeah. If you have, um, I mean, say you have five units in play, you play one sadistic glee, that's ten cards off the top of their deck. You play another Sadistic Glee, that's another 12. (laughs) Yeah. You're definitely milling them pretty quickly. It's also just a 5-5 for 6, which is not not horrible. Yeah. This this deck is fun looking, though. All right, so next. Good job, Brian. Okay, next up, we've got your soulmate. One of our most consistent contributors thus far to the show. Thank you for all of your contributions he has a time primal shadow so the aurelian uh faction deck uh let's see so bizarre trickster is the two drop two three that silences for four and that card is pretty is is almost bordering on being a bomb um which sounds maybe crazy if you haven't played with it yet, <laughs> but being able to rattle off multiple uh, silence effects with one unit is crazy powerful and can turn a game over really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, and just uh, has a decent body and only has a single time influence requirement. So it's really easy to play in any deck. So, yeah, the, I mean, I, I would consider it as long as you have, I guess this is weird to say, but as long as you have the deck to back it up, it is a bomb. It's like unbeatable if you have backup for it. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it win games on its own, which is crazy for a two drop. <laughs> yeah, a really easy to play two drop that can just 
neutralize every powerful thing your opponent's doing. Um, so yeah, that card, very good. Also has Ice Sprite, which is a great card. Um, Scorpion Wasp, which is one of the best, most flexible cards, I think, in time. Um, it's super powerful. Double Tumbling Sloth. And has four token of instinct to play it. You can see how I look at the tumbling sloth, and then my next thought was, how does this, their fixing look? And I look over and see four tokens. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Although token of instinct is not uh, the the combo that. So in, instinct is the Genev colors. So it's not quite what <laughs> he was looking for, but it's totally good enough, and definitely still counts as fixing. Um, and then had three hair trigger pistols, uh, two dark returns, two frost waves, a suffocate, um, and looks like winning winning the game with either sloth beatdown or has infused guardian, an outrider, an adaptive predator, but probably those hair trigger pistols more than anything mm-hmm. pl- played on a, a flyer. And it, this is a good. This was a good call on playing Fledgling Evasar and Flickerling as well. has one of each of those. And those are cards that are kind of borderline with a lot of deck types. But it looks like in this one, he's got enough really good defensive cards with the double Frostwave and Suffocate and stuff that just playing a Flyer and then getting one of those three Hair Trigger Pistols on them is going to do the job. Um, Yeah. It looks good. I'd say the the weakest card in this whole deck is uh, maybe <laughs> a, a Flickerling, but it's perfectly great in here. So this looks like a really tight deck. Um, yeah. Also, Frost Wave is absolutely absurd. Um, I think I, I'm picking that over most cards right now. It's really easy to fit. It's only got a single primal influence. It's super flexible. It, it plays well in defensive and offensive strategies. So, yeah, grab your frost waves and play as many as you can pick up. Set card's great. All right, good job, your soulmate. That deck looks really great. Pretty consistent too. All right, now we got Ro- Rofer. All right, so this looks like it's a four faction. Wow, look at that power base. <laughs> so four faction and did the work to make sure that it could happen has i'm not even gonna read off the, the power base but managed to have nine <laughs> sigils so one two three four five six seven eight nine non-sigil power guards so lots of fixing has a hojin and forge master um a few uh, strangers double sauropod uh, Mantisar, two beast masters. Oh, there's Ava, everyone's favorite game ending primal yeah. flyer. So he said in his defense, he didn't play her once in his seven wins. Wow. Yeah. That must feel great. <laughs> um, spells. Wow. This yeah, this deck is just wild. There's so much going on. This yeah this this was a well drafted deck. You can tell that. That this this is something that I think a lot of players would have a lot of newer players too would probably struggle to ever put together something that looks like this 
with just like a loads of really powerful cards in <laughs> four different factions and and really making it work really well uh display of instinct and mighty strikes are great uh had to play grow on form and jump kick which are both cards that are kind of not not great but as far as playable in a in a deck that doesn't want things that strain the influence requirements and also give you some flexibility i think that they look good here and uh frontline cyclops and a lumen defender yeah this looks cool uh, i have never seen that much fixing so way to go this <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to see whether or not it's just getting last pick banners. I was like, oh, I can just splash everything. This is this is great. Or whether or not, you know, they were actively picking up all of these tokens and stuff. Yeah, I've but, actually re- looking, receiving and then looking at this deck has made me pick um, the fixing a lot higher. And then just this week played around. All my decks this week more or less have been four factions. And uh, I've been having, you know, I haven't gotten any seven wins, but I've been having pretty good success with four factions. So it's kind of been something that I'd be getting more and more comfortable with and finding more and more success with. So I don't know. I feel like you get enough play, you know, we're at the point, I don't know, it seems like, where you're getting enough playables, so if you have the fixing to play them, you know, you can do kind of some fun stuff. You can sort of make these sort of fun decks that actually also work well. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. You're braver than I am. <laughs> I can't remember the last time I drafted more than three. <laughs> I, I usually am just so tunneled in on trying to figure out which exact shard I want to end up in that that's that's my focus. It can it can make it so that sometimes I'm I'm missing out on some powerful potential splashes, I think. So, it's something for me to work on probably. Yeah. Well, I've forward, been find- just to be I've, more aware of. Yeah, I've been finding at least recently where I'm getting into a situation where I'm having I have my two colors like really solidly locked down and then that third color is really hard to figure out. To the where it almost seems like it's jumping back and forth, where I keep being like, okay, I'm definitely justice, and then all of a sudden, for like three or four packs, justice will dry up, and I'll have like really great primal cards, and then I'll be like, oh, maybe maybe that was just a fluke, and I'm actually supposed to be primal for my third color, and then all of a sudden, primal will dry up, and I'll be getting justice cards again, and so this past week, I've just been <laughs> picking um picking fixing higher so that hopefully I can play both the justice and primal cards or whatever, you know, two other cards. Anyway. All right. Yeah. It's a, it's a cool strategy. So good job. Rofer with the nine banner and, and token deck. (laughs) Very cool. All right. So that ends our, Uh, Oh no, let's go to gown on. This is, Ixton. Primal Fire and Justice is Ixton. And had three Forge Masters, uh, a Bannerman and two Argentport Strangers, which helped with the green fixing. Uh, Shiny Finder, two of them. 
two lazy fire mains, uh, a bunch of attachments. Wow, yeah. To go with those triple Orny Forge Master had two Ruination Sledge, Changey Stick, a Bear Arms, Peacekeeper's Helm, Ice Bow, and Welding Torch. So total glut of great weapons. And yeah, this looks great. Parry is the only removal spell. Uh, I guess Peacekeeper Helm is kind of pseudo removal, and even Changey Stick. I wouldn't really count that. <laughs> So this this deck is definitely looking to Voltron up pretty hard really quickly. Um most likely just getting a Forge Master gigantic, I'm sure is how he won a lot of games. Just play a Forge Master, play a sledge, and then another weapon, and then another weapon, and then they're dead. Is can sometimes just get the game done. So yeah, this looks this looks good. Pretty straightforward renowned deck. Parry is a card that has just consistently gone up in my uh, estimation. Personally, I think that it's it's really a strong card and super flexible and it does a lot of different things and almost always has a good impact on your board state in just about every situation I've seen with, with potential upside of being crazy with uh, death touch and stuff units as well. Though that didn't matter here, but... Perry was activating Renown for him with the two Fire, fire Mains and the three Forge Masters. So that was that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think Ruination Sledge plus Forge Master. <laughs> Can't go wrong with that. Yeah, and Ruination Sledge isn't one of those cards that is is really powerful, but also goes late. I'm always surprised at how late you can pick up a Ruination Sledge. Yeah, I would I would be hesitant to pass that over a lot of fire cards. Um, it's interesting to see that the 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 justice here is definitely a splash. So this is like he does, he's not even running a single um, justice sigil. It's all just fire and primal with two um, a horu banner and a token of honor to help splash the green and the double Arjaport stranger and the bannerman to also get the the justice. So the power requirements are super slick he's almost never going to have trouble curving out and not having the right influence requirements so i think this this is a very optimal looking deck just for getting those seven wins mm -hmm. so do you think this yeah. is uh is is this what do you think about running the 17 power in this deck is this a deck you would run 17 power in um i rarely like going below 18 personally um, I, I think 17, 17 is fine um, if you're topping out at like four with a couple of fives, which is kind of what he's doing here. So I think sort it, was of. A, I, it was a fair, yeah. though he does have Welding Torch and Mighty Strikes and a Topaz Drake and Changey Stick. Well, even Ruination Sledge and Peacekeeper's Helm all need um, power influence. So I probably would have popped. Yeah. I would probably... Not and three and three five drops also on top of that. Yeah, so I, I'd say that that might be the only consideration here is maybe trying to fit in another mm -hmm. another power. You're right. The seventeen or eighteen power debate, I think, is one that rages that will rage eternally in the eternal community. But I'm always interested on where people draw the line and what they do. So I was just wondering on this deck what what your instincts would have been to do yeah 
Well, I'm I'm kind of a boring person. I just have had so much success with running 18 most in most decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes 19 if I'm running something much slower. But mm-hmm. I rarely vary from those two numbers. All right. So that's our, our seven-win run breakdown here. Um, thank you for sending all your stuff again, guys. Well, hopefully after the ECQ is over, everybody will be drafting again, and we'll have <laughs> a lot more stuff to talk about. I, I, I do have a feeling that that had some sort of influence. Um, yes. Maybe that's anecdotal, because I've been uh, ranked testing more than anything. This past week. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Well, don't worry, faithful listeners. I have not been ranked testing. I've been playing draft. So moving on to our main topic. Today we were we uh, we were hoping to talk about combat tricks. Ooh. So to start with, I have a bit of a pop quiz for uh, Ruben here. Oh, no. Yep. Okay. So your opponent is Rakano. They have right. one mana. They have one power open. They attack you. What are you worried about? <laughs> uh, let's see, Rakano. You've got finest hour. Finest hour. I think that's it. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of another card I'd be playing around in that situation. Either that or they're bluffing. Well, they could have bottoms up, but I agree that. Dirty bluffers. Oh, yeah, bottoms up. Yeah, that's another very unlikely one. Okay, Huru. Huru. You're attacking into your Huru opponent, and they have two power up. All right. They got Barrel Through and Finest Hour Mm -hmm. and Lightning. You're attacking, right? Yep. So they got Lightning Strikes. They've got... I'm trying to think of the playable ones off the top of my head. Frostwave. Um, and in, in a combat situation, if it's it's more important if you're attacking and they're potentially double blocking, you, you can Frostwave. Um, mm-hmm. In this situation, it's not. If you're the one on the offensive and right. they have a Frostwave, the most it can do is remove your guy from combat. Um, so that's not as much of a concern i don't know hit me with it what what else am okay. i forgetting there's a defiance fall short fall short yeah yeah Good one. you're parry parry yep anyway so the point is i guess i don't know what the point is no it's kind of interesting because that is definitely something that you're thinking about when you're playing um that can help you to know what the playable tricks are in those situations. Yeah. Because there are certain things, like I'd say Gruon Form was one that we didn't mention, but mm-hmm. is another one that is um, even more devastating in the very specific circumstances with mm-hmm. the extra toughness. Um, though I, I'd say, yeah, the ones that popped into my mind immediately are the ones that you <laughs> that I've seen the most and I would worry about the most. Though I did forget that um, fall short is fast. Yeah, I yeah I I guess the reason I wanted to talk about and we we don't really have a, a structure. Just um, I thought we could have a conversation about about combat tricks because I think this is one of my weaker points in play. In that I just I mostly just feel helpless to combat tricks. 
and so and therefore don't really play around them and it's interesting and and i kind of just wanted to talk to you about what your philosophy about combat tricks are and playing around combat tricks and because for me a lot of it is you know the uh, the most obvious one is finest hour where it's just like one of those tricks it's just so cheap and so powerful it's like if they have it you're just going to get blown out and but there's it feels like there's so many games where you know they have it but yeah you're just helpless to it you're like i have to attack because i'm gonna lose or i have to block even though i know they have something and and so i i can never tell yeah i just i can never tell if if i'm doing it correctly because i just feel so often that i'm unable to play around tricks even when i've pinpointed that they have them and i'm not sure if that's like a weakness in my game or if i'm like just like not not doing it correctly i mean yeah the first thing you do is you you try to read their stops like whether or not they're getting a window of response Mm -hmm. at at the different point Uh, and and you they get windows of response uh after you attack um, unlike in in Magic: The Gathering, if you guys are coming from that, you get so many different points to respond at so many different levels of each turn. Um, and Eternal has streamlined that in a really great way, in my opinion. But so so figuring out whether or not they do have a fast spell is is pretty easy to do. And I'd say start paying attention to that to to see whether or not it's even something that. Um, is necessary to play around because they get a you know response window before blockers even so that's when you can you can get a read then and you know so pay attention to those things and also i know a lot of a lot of players have voiced this as well but um combat tricks used especially early in the game you kind of want to encourage your opponent to get them out before you you get to the later stages of the game when they can be the deciding factor between saving a more serious win condition or not, or mm-hmm. killing a win con or something. So I, I usually get pretty pumped when, literally pumped uh, when I'm attacking, and or or they attack and I, with a two two or something like a, a stranger and I block with my two two stranger and they use a combat trick to save it. Those are instances where you should be super happy because <laughs> they just used a card to kill your 2-2 stranger. I mean, they just, it's like a bad removal spell in that situation, essentially. It's like a removal spell that didn't let them get damage in. So I think that reading the situation is pretty important. Knowing, like, what kind of feeling out is this actually going to be a game winning blowout <laughs> potential? here or not is is what you should be asking yourself at any point and mm-hmm. and also um if you're the one playing with the combat tricks it can be a question of of the clock as well and what you kind of are expecting coming up because sometimes pushing through a little extra damage or getting that blocker out of the way might advance your game plan in the right way and sometimes it, it might not. Sometimes you might have a very aggressive hand, but you also can't spare a pump spell because maybe you have a double damage unit or something coming up. So it's it's about being flexible. That's why that's why combat tricks are always going to be an interesting 
interesting thing. I, I I'd say that that's where a lot of the magic happens between um, more experienced players and less experienced players. I've found is if you've been playing a long time, you you can recognize those scenarios where like you can potentially get two for ones and or clear out a very important blocker or attacker for your opponent and win the game. So so the other question I had is kind of sort of having to do with my little pop quiz here is before when a format starts, are you is that like something you look at like just you want to try to get a handle of what the possible combat tricks are or you know, is that like something that you try to like memorize a short list of potential combat checks in the different colors, or is that just something that you figure you'll get through just playing, you know, a few games or or whatever? Yeah, I prefer learning just organically every mm-hmm. time. Every time a new set comes out or a new format um, is on its way, just just playing a good amount. And and once you kind of understand the flow of eternal games in general and how all of these different decision points we've been talking about work into your strategy, you can figure out pretty quickly when you're starting even a new uh, a new format like mm-hmm. what what looks good and what probably makes sense. Although that that is always changing, and I think always be very open to changing even your own opinions about different cards and things. I think that's, that's something to always be very willing to do to admit that you were undervaluing or even overvaluing certain cards and stuff. It's very important. Yeah. What, what's kind of interesting um, to me about that is, you know, earlier you said that, you know, like combat tricks and learn, you know, learning how to use them and get, and getting two for ones with them is sort of how good players get percentage points. But I I feel like that's actually a tough place to get to. I I mean, at least I I think it is since I I'm not there, so I'm assuming it must be tough. <laughs> cuz yeah, I just cuz combat tricks just seem like you worded it earlier by, you know, saying like combat tricks are sort of where the magic happens that like you know give good players the percentage points well for me combat tricks just feel like one of the frustrating points of um yeah i I, uh, (laughs) of eternal where because like i was saying earlier is like they seem so powerful that it's like you're not allowed to do that like for me it takes away it feels like it takes away some of the nuance because sometimes i just feel powerless in front of the knowledge that my opponent has a fast spell and knowing that if it's a certain fast spell, I'm just going to get blown out. And so like, I feel like I get in these situations where I'm like, okay, well, I know they have a really good fast spell and I have no way to beat it. And so now I've just, I like spend turns being like, okay, well, do I just go for it now? Or do I wait? Do I go for it now? Or do I wait knowing that, Eventually, I'm going to have to go for it and then just get blown out by the by the fast spell. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, I know that you've mentioned in the past that you really like, <clears throat> are gra- you gravitate towards playing more mid-range decks with, you know, good big units and removal. And I think that <clears throat> that 
that even carries over into ranked play. It's it's kind of a preference of uh, <laughs> of game plans because you you can build decks that rely mostly on doing card advantage math. Like, okay, I kill this guy and get that cleared, and then I play this guy and I win with this. And if he plays this, I'm going to kill it with this and do this. Like, it's it's more the structure of that style of game plan and that deck is more based is less based on doing combat math and more based on resource development and uh you know playing around certain removal pieces and stuff whereas when you when you throw combat tricks into the mix it can be hard to figure out when and where they're actually useful so i think it's just a matter of having played with them enough to uh, know how, when to be patient and when to just fire it off. Like sometimes the situation is is such that you have to get your value right then and there. Like some sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you need to hold off on playing a trick because you need to save a potential game winning attacker or flyer for lethal damage or something. So it's it just adds another layer of complexity, I think, onto the drafting experience and playing mm-hmm. so I, I think you'll get a better sense of it as you explore more and play with it more <laughs> mm-hmm. but it, it can it can you know it can backfire but also the way that eternal structured combat tricks and weapons and stuff are, are not as big of a risk as they are in magic where you have usually so many different interaction points um so that's i don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense or <laughs> helps at all but no it does but it it's again one once again for me at least sort of the it's helpful information but i think it's one of those areas where because they're better in eternal like i'm better at it in magic because you don't really have to worry <laughs> you know in magic you don't really have to worry about combat tricks and and in you know enchantment buffs as much because you know, you can get two for one so easily. And so it's just like, it's odd. It's like, I feel like it's an, an area where Eternal's more complex. It's hard for me to figure out, you know, you know, less, I feel like less, slightly less how to use them, but more how to effectively play around them. But yeah, I, I think uh, definitely learn the good common uh, instant speed pump spells and removal spells and stuff in any draft format because those are the ones that you're going to be a- actively kind of thinking about more frequently. Right. Like the, there's only so much you can do to play around like frost wave or something. It's uh, it's that's a hard card to play around, but whereas a, you know, a barrel through on the other hand is uh something that a lot of justice decks are playing and you can usually expect especially if you see a stop on your opponent's um you know on your end step or your opponent's um attack phases or anything you can usually play around it or play into it yes so i guess sometimes you want them to play it sometimes you actively are like oh i need them to make this decision now and i'm gonna (laughs) guide them gently into wasting their barrel through to win some piece of combat so that i can effectively you know play a win condition and end the game myself 
Yeah, well, I guess that's like a question. Uh, let's like maybe these are too contrived to like be useful. But you know, like your opponent has a two-two, you have a four-four, and they have you know two power up. Do you attack into that? Yeah, these more generalized conversations have their limits. <laughs> right. It's it's kind of reading like you know even looking at your opponent's void and kind of piecing together what their strategy is whether or not they're playing the type of deck that even you know needs combat tricks or is likely to have them you know is is something to be adjusting to as well mm-hmm. what is the st- the state of things where you feel like you'd be more likely to attack into what feels like it's probably a barrel throw yeah it's just it's a matter of also what what you potentially have coming as well mm-hmm. um i i would suggest to everybody that you intimately know what's in your deck <laughs> and right. what you can expect to draw and what you're kind of looking forward to draw and what you're playing around and what what your end game is because in your instance where say you know they've got two open and a two two blocker and you've got your four four attacking sometimes you want that barrel through out and sometimes you don't sometimes maybe that four four if it's not a vanilla one if it's one that is gonna win the game if you draw the right card or has a renown effect you know something like that um you can hold off and wait because you kind of know in your mind that within a few turns is a very good chance of you drawing, you know, your own pump spell or something as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's, like I said, that it's it's contextual on so many different levels that it's impossible to say. All right, so let's go to our next segment, uh, the draft, um, the draft segment. Uh, this is the one that we previewed last week. Uh, it's your soulmate's draft. I think we'll go through this pretty quickly, but there were a couple um, interesting picks that I wanted to talk about. So pack one, pick one. Uh, Cards in contention are Carindon Steward, uh, Power Breach Sentinel, and Fireheart Recruit. Yeah, I think um, you missed one in Frostwave. Oh, in Frostwave, right. Yeah, yeah. I think think that uh, he ended up taking Steward. Mm-hmm. Which is perfectly reasonable. I think it's it's very close, though. I, I'd say that based on more recent experiences myself, I would I would go lean towards Frostwave, um, okay. because I also have no no uh, faction preferences at this point. Really, mm-hmm. I'm just purely going on power level, especially especially the first several picks. Um, so I, I think Frostwave is slightly more powerful than the Steward, so I would have gone with that. But And so where are you on Fireheart Recruit now? Fireheart Recruit is a pretty medium card in most decks. It really shines in the more aggressive fire decks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I feel like you were much higher on that a few weeks ago. Probably it has come down a little bit, I'd say, in my uh, estimation. Though, though I think being a pledge card and um, being a three power quick draw, <laughs> three drop in the right deck, it's it's very very good. And yeah, uh, I, I I wouldn't say it's not even close to Stewart here. If the Frostwave oh. wasn't there, like Stewart is way better. So uh, pick two, 
So Ruben has a Frostwave in his pile, and your soulmate has a steward. Um, pick two uh, cards in contention are Sadistic Glee. That's the six shadow five five that mills. There's a Begone and a Mighty Strikes. And they t- they took Mighty Strikes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, this this pack is pretty weak. Right. All around. Uh, almost like the token of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Is is which is a weird thing to say cuz tokens aren't aren't fantastic. Um they they've actually they've come down on for me slightly in how eagerly I am picking them just because um with strangers and banners mm-hmm. sometimes the tokens are uh not totally necessary. And and the fact that you have to choose between one of the three, and it's depleted, it's it's not quite as strong as I initially thought. That's because you're um, not taking enough of them. Yeah, I'm also never drafting four faction greed piles either. So, okay. but they so, ended up taking mighty strikes, which I think was is fine here because there wasn't a whole lot else. Next is uh, pick three. Uh, cards in contention are clan hunt caller. That's the four fire shadow uh, war cry. Give all your units war cry. There's infused guardian, scavenge, barrel through, and tumbling sloth. And they ended up taking infused guardian. They took infused guardian. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the strongest, most flexible card in this pack. And mm-hmm. there's nothing is set at this point, so I'm a big proponent of just taking the strongest card in the first several picks. <laughs> yeah. And then seeing where where things are, what what's flowing to you, right? So yeah, yeah I, I like this pick of Infused Guardian. Okay, and yeah. and Infused Guardian, and uh, for the record, Endurance is quite good. Yeah, uh, with the number of flash freezes flying around, frost waves and stuff, I think Endurance is a is better than it has been in a lot of other formats before. So pick pick four. Uh, cards in contention. There's another clan hunt caller. There's a Lethrai intimidator and a mighty strikes. And they ended up going with the hunt caller this time around. They went with the hunt caller. That's interesting. So they've at this point have the the steward and shadow and the the mighty Infused. strikes and skycrag and the fuse guardian and time. So they've they've touched everything but justice. Right. Um, they decide to go with the the hunt caller, which fits with the mighty strike, sort of, but you don't really want to be fire primal shadow. It also doesn't mix well with the infused guardian potentially either. Yeah. In time. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that it's impossible to make those color combos work. Um, because I, I've seen all some oddball decks come through, but it's just, Far less likely, especially in this stage mm-hmm. of a draft. So, um, I would have been hesitant to pick the hunt color just because it requires two different factions to be good. Whereas the the intimidator is a totally fine shadow card mm-hmm. on its own, um, and is much easier to to fit into different decks. And also, there's a second mighty strikes some potential. Although I, I do think I, I do think Mighty Strikes is not nearly as good as it once was. So I don't know if you can answer this uh, hypothetical, but 
for me, it's an easy Lethrai Intimidator, especially if you have the Carindon Steward in your pile. But assuming you went with Frostwave, would you pick up a second Mighty Strikes now? And or would you or is Lethrai Intimidator good enough to be your first shadow card? Um, I th- I think it it's close. Um, because yeah, I probably like you said, I would have followed up the Frostwave with probably the Mighty Strikes when they did as well. Um, but also I have to say I'm not totally set on anything specifically just mm-hmm. yet. The Mighty Strikes I could easily dump from my deck, so it's not something I'm <laughs> not willing to abandon at this point. It's uh, I think the Intimidator is just the safe pick here. Mm-hmm. Okay, so pick five is uh, Penitent Bull which is the four-time justice, pay five, uh, 3-2, pay five to sacrifice it and get three random sigils depleted. Uh, there's a flickerling, a bleak basin guide, and a tumbling sloth. Yeah, and they ended up going with the sloth. Oh, no, the flickerling. Flickerling. Sorry, sorry. flickerling. Yeah. I like how you keep putting penitent bull in the... Uh, I, one day, I know, I... <laughs> I, I've seen that card multiple times. I, I I don't actually think it's in the cards. It it doesn't really work in most strategies. There might be a rare um, random Karen and power deck that could just do really broken things with it. But or with your infused guardian. Yeah, yeah. That there you go. I I just it just looks to me like a three two for four personally. Yeah. No. Um. But I, I think Flickerling was okay here. Uh, the Another card you didn't put in the cards in contention is Unmoored Valkyrie, mm-hmm. which is not a not a particularly bad card, though I, I don't think we had a lot going for it. Or he, your soulmate didn't at this point to help it out, so it, it, does, it wasn't looking right good whatsoever. So I think, yeah, Flickerling is probably the most likely to make the deck at this yeah. point. Though I guess there is a, a a world where you now have two mighty strikes, a frost wave. Maybe your unmoored Valkyrie doesn't look too bad. Okay, and do, is there a, a world where you gamble on the tumbling sloth or uh, the bleak basin guide over the flickerling? Uh, considering, like all you all you really have are you know. It, you have like a bunch of Xenon cards so far. I mean, are you just taking the Flickerling to be on the safe side, or? Yeah, that's a that's a good question because the upside of the other two is a little higher. So it 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 does kind of depend on where you are in the draft. I think so. They had a Hunt Caller, an Infused Guardian, a Mighty Strikes, a Steward. So they're kind of all over the place, right? Up until this pick. So I think there could be an argument for. Um, picking a slightly more powerful card with the chance of sliding into um, even Carindon because uh, it's got a couple, the you know, a couple good Zenian cards with the Steward and the Infused Guardian. So Bleak Basin Guide would be maybe um, a consideration, though. Though I don't think Bleak Basin Guide is really very good. Well, Tumbling <laughs> Sloth is also Zenian based. Right, yes, that's a good point, yeah. So it, it would probably be even more so. But, yeah, at this stage in the draft, taking the Flickerling with 
is is fine because I think that none of these are going to make or break your draft. Well, let's have this same conversation again, Ruben, because oh, uh, pick six, cards of contention, uh, master cartographer, flickerling, tumbling sloth, uh, honeypot, and mass entomancy. Uh, okay, and they ended up taking the sloth this time. Right? They took the sloth this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I think seeing the one sloth followed by another sloth is probably a good, in, and, and, you know, even honeypot, and honeypot's not really great. It's pretty uh, situational. Right. As far as cards go. Whereas Tumbling Sloth doesn't need a relic to be decent. <laughs> yeah. So so I think the Tumbling Sloth is a good pick here, even over the Flickerling potentially, because it's got a little more upside maybe. So then um, pick seven, there's... Um, this is actually, I think, a, a better pack than um, than the last couple. Um, pick seven, there's a Be Gone and a Santa's Outrider a token of knowledge, and a Sirocco glider. Yeah, and they went with the Outrider. They went with the Outrider here. And it's the Outrider that made their final deck, actually. But um, Nice. But I, I actually just picked this one because I don't think I would have gone with the Outrider, and I was just wondering if you thought the Outrider was powerful enough to, to sort of... Um, stake your claim into primal at this at this stage in the draft i think oh let's see they had primal that didn't have really mostly just the tumbling sloth they just picked up right so they're kind of pivoting a little bit with this pick especially especially Mm -hmm. um i i don't know i would have been maybe tempted with the token potentially Mm -hmm. um and even even a card like Sirocco Glider in the Relic deck is pretty comparable to the Outrider in my experience. Um, right. It it blocks really well, and without a Relic is much more playable. <laughs> if you don't have the the great Relic synergies, uh, Sirocco Glider still drops as a two five blocker for four, mm-hmm. which is not a bad stat line. Um, so I think it's close between the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I don't think Cantha's Outrider was a mistake by any means. He wasn't missing out on anything particularly powerful or broken. Right. Though so this this pack is a great indication that they sh- that Primal is open right now and is likely and time Primal and time Elysian especially is open and is going to be open because there's a, a Bee Gone as well and a Glider and a Token of Knowledge and the Outrider and even an Elvish Swindler. So yeah. it's just a, a lot of great Elysian cards. Yeah. So that that right there is your your moment to realize that likely in pack four, you're going to be rewarded with more of this. Maintain your position in a primal time deck. So yeah, and uh, and then I just wanted to go pick eight. Um, the only two really good cards were mass intimacy and lazy fire main and then pick nine the only good card was fireheart recruit and this is uh your soulmate mentioned in his notes that this is like where he he started to wonder if he had made some mistakes and 
I feel like this is a situation that's been happening a lot to me where you sort of all of a sudden start getting all of these sort of out of whack signals because you don't really think like, um, I feel like a Fireheart shouldn't be going ninth pick. Yeah, well, it's possible that somebody who's in fire could take a card over Fireheart Recruit. So yes. it's it's not such a powerful card that it's a signal, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so seeing something late like that, I, I don't. It, I wouldn't necessarily immediately think, "Oh God, fire must be really open because the fire heart recruits here." I think you would think that if it was something slightly more powerful, like a um, forge master or something, then I would really be starting to question what was going on. <laughs> like, whoa, okay, that's that's a card that if you're in fire, you're probably likely gonna pick up. So right, I don't know. Maybe I did misread a signal somewhere, but. I, yeah, I think it's and even lazy firemane as well. Um, even in the renowned decks, there's potential to be picking up better cards than that. Um, yeah. Although firemane's gotten much better in the Winchest go wide deck as well, so yeah, there's there's that to keep note of. Yeah, yeah. I just mentioned it because not that I think they're very powerful cards, but since there were no other like offsetting cards in your colors that's you know it's kind of a point in the draft where i start to get worried a little bit yeah okay so then uh pack two uh pick one um it was an easy suffocate and then pick 14 so uh pack two pick two uh the cards in contention are adaptive predator which is the seven primal primal eight eight overwhelm reckless and gains a skill, and there is um, a dark return. And I was just wondering, um, sort of, what your opinions are on this. Yeah, I think they ended up going with dark return. No, they went with the predator. Actually. Oh, they went with the predator. Okay, nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I think. I think at this stage, you're likely in shadow. You got a what is it? The steward, the sloth. Um, oh, we didn't pick the intimidator though, and a flickerling. I think dark return is better here. I think it's it's a more consistently playable card. Um, mm-hmm. some t- sometimes adaptive predator doesn't quite fit what your game plan. Yeah, um, especially because. Well. The only real um, primal card that your soulmate has is a Santa's Outrider. Right, and the Sloth. So and the Sloth. Which you're not necessarily super tied to, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think Dark Return is great. Yeah. I think it's, it, it turns games around pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think Predator is a bomb, but I just feel like I wouldn't have been confident enough that I was primal yet. To pass a dark return, and the the final deck list here is the next thing we have. Yeah, the we one did, that we this did is cover. the one that they this is they actually got seven wins with this deck. This is the deck that we talked about earlier. Um, so the the only other thing I wanted to ask you about was Zine and Augury. How are you feeling about that card? <laughs> uh, it's like your twenty seventh. 28th card <laughs> yeah in your deck i i don't really think it's it it just for for four power 
to draw one card is not something you want to be, you know, spending your time doing. Yeah, I think you're you're gonna want to be doing a lot of other things before that. I, I I don't I have trouble envisioning too many decks where it's really good. Um, it could be relevant in like a Wormstone deck where you just need a nice spell trigger or something potentially, but but otherwise it's a card that I typically avoid just because it's it's too slow and it doesn't provide you with extra card advantage in any sort of way. Yeah, I mean, it seems like you would, in in this deck, you would cut it for an 18th power, because he's only running 17 power right now. And, you know, for top end, he has Adaptive Predator, he has an Asantha's Outrider with uh, zero relics, um, and an Infused Guardian. So, it seems like uh, an 18th power wouldn't hurt this deck. Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think that might be a decent change. Take out the augury for one extra power. A safe adjustment. Okay, so that's the end of the show. Uh, remember to like us on iTunes. Send us all of your seven-win decks. And any drafts you'd like us to review or any show topics or cards you'd like us to talk about. I'd like to thank again everyone who sent in seven-win decks this week. And remember, you can send all of those things to farmingeternal at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and until next week, remember to keep on farming. All right, so Ruben, what are your ECQ plans? Ooh, that that's a good question. Um, I've been playing a, still a ton of that Ixton Peaks deck that we talked about the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I'm sitting on like a 20 and 5 record with it the last couple days, which yeah. feels feels good enough if I if I was doing like a mock run. I think that's kind of an interesting thing to do if you're prepping for an ECQ is uh, really keep track of your games and what your win-loss record is and what you're beating, what you're seeing, and take notes and write that stuff down. and um, Because... testing results can be varied but at the very least you can have an idea of what you know you're playing Mm -hmm. um i I, i've i actually watched um or listened to another podcast last night it was um jay mang and uh tall shark and handsome just started their own new podcast and uh i really liked it and i listened to them they're they're doing like a podcast that's a lot about uh you know, more interesting things happening in the community and, you know, ranked uh, developments and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. think they're interested in talking about draft as much, but uh, they were talking about just how metagaming at this point is kind of silly, and I agree with them. Like, if, like trying to anticipate what you're going to see is pretty tough. I think it was pretty easy. It was easier last ECQ than it's ever been before because... Uh, FJS was just way above and beyond all the other decks um, and had been dominating ladder for a week or two leading up to the ECQ. So, And I'd say this time around we're seeing just a whole just gigantic load of viable decks. So what you want to be playing is something that uh, you know really well. You know all the decision points, 
uh, a lot of the matchups, you've tested them, you know what to pick in certain situations and what not to. I think that that has a massive effect on your win-loss record across a 28-game span. So if you're wondering what to play, oftentimes the answer, it, unless there's an obvious development or uh, something that looks like the best deck in the format, I'd say just sticking with what you know best is pretty good mm-hmm. at this point. Just because it, it's also uh, matchup-dependent and <laughs> variable that the best way you can reduce the variance is and know that you're going to at least make the right decisions and play well is to play something that you have a good grasp on. So that would be my my suggestion. And I may, I may end up leaning into a deck that I've just ended up playing a lot above anything else. Right. What have you yeah. been doing? Well, I well, I just wanted to sort of go off of that real quick. Uh, yeah. Because I know um, earlier in the week you were um, you had been off that deck a little bit and were back on FJS. And that mixed with, I don't know if you saw, but Jonah Vale uh, posted on Reddit uh, today or yesterday about how that the Tapa Masters is only FJS and Rakano right now. And I was just wondering, I guess that had got me wondering if we were sort of back in the same place as the last ECQ and it just took people, you know, two or three weeks or whatever to realize that we're, that we haven't moved forward. Or if you think that the meta is actually more wide open than what he was sort of proclaiming. I think that to a certain degree, I, I I sometimes run into pockets of decks. It, it happens pretty frequently in Eternal, actually, where a deck gets incredibly popular, mm-hmm. <laughs> even like beyond what you could probably expect in a larger tournament scenario. Um, but also, it has to be noted that there there are certain like like the to to get too focused on what people are playing at like the top of masters and i'm at the top hundred of masters and this is what i'm seeing like um at this stage in the month masters doesn't necessarily like a lot of the good players haven't settled into masters yet even like Mm. because the the hidden MMR has a huge impact on things, and there's a there's a lot of players who I, I've said this at time maybe not on this show but before where it's it's kind of a slugfest between a lot of these higher MMR players, um, which I, I I have been a part of myself and would say I still am, um, and it makes it so that grinding into top hundred masters for me is a a beast <laughs> it's really it's a lot rougher than it used to be i used to be able to knock out masters within uh several a few days no problem and now i'm usually pitted against all of the other guys that i i play with a lot of frequency who are all um even better than i am a lot of times and are playing really great decks and stuff and we just all beat up on each other <laughs> and keep mm-hmm. each other out of masters for a little while so i think that early in the season uh i would be hesitant to like 
put too much stock in like you, you'll see a lot of i think clickbait sounding things where people are like top 10 masters you know second day of ranked this is what i was playing it's obviously the best deck in the format everybody come look and like i love i love those guys i think that their their excitement is great and necessary but you also have to realize that there's um there you have to take it with a grain of salt because making masters quickly does not necessarily mean like that's the best deck in the format or anything because a lot of it has to do with that settling into your place in that mmr rating as well Mm -hmm. and and maybe those are players who are really good and were a little lower and just like hit a crazy streak also and like there's a lot of things impacting it um so i would i would be open to other ideas and stuff as well I, I don't know if FJS is the absolute uh, best deck, but I, mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that you you should be expecting to play against it. It might be the most the most frequently faced deck at the ECQ. So if you don't have a game plan or understand how to play against it or beat it, I wouldn't go with that deck. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. And do you feel like your um, your peaks deck has a pretty good game plan against FJS? Um, yeah, it's pretty close. Um, I, I typically don't win if they draw, like, three display of Ambition, because that, that deck is pure grindy control, and it's it's kind of a trading off of... It's a really straightforward, like, Howling's Peak, kill your guy, you play another guy, I kill that guy, I play my guy, you kill it. They play another guy, I kill it. And, you know, just this back and forth. Mm-hmm of that that resource attrition and i i can definitely be overwhelmed with my deck if they play too many displays yeah so it's it's the one card that as a control deck you're scared to go up against yeah um so if they end up using it on uh killing one of my zoes or something i'm usually elated right that, that does happen from time to time but yeah, so that I I think that it's also I've I've been playing this deck a lot and I understand it really well. So um that could also play into my decision. Well, what are you where are you at? How are you are you planning on playing in the ECQ or are you No, not a chance. Not a chance. No. <laughs> I don't yeah, I don't know. I I can't. I can't play 28 games in in a day, unfortunately. It's rough. It's yeah. not easy. It's really hard to fit that many games, and you have to sit down for quite a few hours. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, and if I if I end up running this control list, I'm uh, I should be ready to really grind out many hours. Yeah. Because uh, the nature of those Howling Peaks decks, as well, is that you just it takes forever. Like it just to close the game out sometimes it's enough you have reached inevitability but you still have to sit there and play for another 15 minutes right until your opponent realizes that they're out of the game and you had two harsh rules sitting in your hand and you were just one for wanting them with <laughs> Jotun hurlers and zoes and stuff until they just eventually lose and you overwhelm i, I i've had a lot of games run that way i'm i i think that I've also said in the past that I think 
you can expect more aggressive decks the, the later you wait to play your games during mm-hmm. the two-day window for the ECQ can also affect what you're going to be facing because I think the longer you wait, the more likely you are to play against aggro because it just makes no sense to start in ECQ at you know 10 o'clock on Saturday with a slow, grindy control deck and expect to finish 28 games easily in that time frame. Right. So, so you want to also be ready to be aggro the later in the day you're starting. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope that makes sense to people, but uh, yeah, I would I would expect f- f- more and more aggro players the later and later you play. Mm-hmm. And in general, you should you should be bringing a deck that can be aggro because a lot of people don't want to grind anything for 28 games other than something slick and fast that can either win or lose quickly. So, right. And I, and I don't blame them either. It's, it's a matter of time allocation. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I have been um, a lot, having a lot of luck with that list. So I do think it's a really good list. So, so cool. yeah. All right, cool. So I'm going to stop recording here.